renovation, renovation, gospel stories of grace at work. Get your Bibles out. Let's go to Luke chapter 14 today. Luke chapter 14. We're in a series of stories from the gospels, stories that illustrate Jesus at work, doing his work, bringing his grace, putting it to work in the lives of his followers. And in essence, putting it in, to work in, in our lives as well. There's always an outline provided with our daily devotionals on the back for your life groups. Be sure and use that if it is of help. If you're new, my name is Pastor Dale. I'd love to meet you out in the plaza afterwards. Uh, donuts are on me. Uh, in fact, donuts are on me for all the mothers today. Let me just say that. And I didn't tell the donut people that. So if you're the first person out afterwards, you've got to tell the donut people to send the bill to Pastor Dale for all the donuts for moms, okay? I may or may not pay it, but he can send me the bill, okay? Okay, here we go. I like to do those kind of things. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Thanks for the joy of the morning. Thank you for the joy of uh, honoring our moms today, but also the joy, most of all, of worshiping you, honoring you, and thinking about what it means to be renovated by your grace, to be changed by your love. Uh, so, Father, teach us from your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for the fact that you give us these great stories, true stories of your life as we watch and listen to you. And I just pray that you would work in my life, first of all. I need, I need work in this area. I need to grow. We all need to grow. So would you do that? We ask you to do it in Christ's name. Amen. Today I want you to imagine with me that you are literally alive at the time of Christ. So I want you to go back in time. I want you to imagine with me that you are a young man, young woman. Maybe you've just started to build your little business, your little job. Maybe you're a fisherman, maybe you're a carpenter, maybe you're a stonemason, doesn't matter, but you're a, you're a simple person at the time of Christ. You've been fascinated by the reports of a new teacher, this uh, son of an everyday, hard-working guy named Joseph, Mother Mary. So you decide to take a day off work and... Check it out. Check him out. You find Jesus and you begin to follow him as he's walking the, the hills around Galilee and you're listening to him and you're watching him and man, you're impressed. We know this was going on at the time of the story we're about to read. You're impressed, so you keep following. You stay around for several days and the crowds would do that and they would literally track with Jesus. They'd find out where he's going next and they were journeying along with him even from from town to town. So you joined in the parade. You joined in the, the uh, mob, you might say, that was listening, watching, listening. What did you see? You saw someone who was strong. This Jesus was stronger than anybody you had met in that he was willing to stand against even the hypocrisy of the religious elite and the traditions that everyone kind of sensed probably weren't true but were being followed by the church then. He was not just strong, though. He was strong but gentle he was loving you could see him rescue a prostitute about ready to be stoned and you were there and you watched him negotiate with the mob and get them disarmed and to leave her alone and you watched him touch and forgive her and tell her not to do it anymore you watched him take kids that were being neglected by people kids love jesus and he seemed to love kids you you watched him teach and listen and this teacher had more wisdom than you had ever heard other people other pastors, rabbis, were full of opinions, but 
you know, you never knew whether they were on target or not, but there was something about the teaching of Jesus that was often described as believable, authentic. He seemed to really know what he's talking about, even when he starts talking about heaven. Almost talks about it as if he'd been there. I mean, this guy had some authenticity, some believability that you had never heard in any other teacher so you kept following him the crowds kept following you were hooked rumors were he could be the promised one he could be the messiah he could be the deliverer the coming king that would liberate them from the atrocities of this roman empire thing that was dominating their lives and overtaxing them and abusing them this could be the guy that would bring freedom the crowds were growing by the day you just kind of kept following along with them. First there were dozens, then there were hundreds, and then we knew there were thousands. In fact, you were among the, the crowd that just before this, in one case, there were, there were over 5,000 men and their families, probably 15,000, 20,000 people, and, and, and there was nothing to eat, and it was the end of the day, and Jesus said, you know something, sit down, I want to feed you. And he took a little basket with a few bread and fish. You saw that. You actually ate some of that miracle what if you had seen all that but now after watching all these miracles after hearing these messages today you're on the move with jesus as we begin to encounter today's story you're between towns you're between towns and this jesus is at the front of the mob and kind of picture if it was in modern language he's coming north on the five freeway on friday afternoon and all of a sudden what would happen if jesus slammed on his brakes i mean he's in the middle lane of the five and all of a sudden with everybody you know obeying the law like you all do cruising at 65 <laughs> you ever do that no, I just go with the flow. I feel, you know, anyway, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm confessing my sin there. But so you're cruising about uh, 78 because I figure 80 is the magic number. I get ticketed. Uh, but anyway, OK, so you're cruising at whatever speed, but the whole crowd is cruising. And what happens if one person locks up their brakes and just stops? Answer. Well, assuming no crash, but everybody like, eh, you know, just kind of everyone else has to break. And all of a sudden it all packs in. Well, in Jesus' language, that's what happened. The passage reads like this. Pick it up in verse 25. It says, now large crowds, emphasize large, large crowds. This is Luke 14, 25. We're going along with Jesus on the road. And suddenly he turned and he said to them. So Jesus literally is going down the road and all of a sudden he stops his quick pace where he's talking and walking and all of a sudden he turns around. What happens? The mob, woo! the mob kind of packs in around and stops. And then Jesus said something that was so unbelievable that you, as one of his, I'm checking him out followers, decided to never listen to him again. Something shook you up enough that you quit following Jesus. Because we know when we read this story and compare it with other stories in Scripture, that's exactly what happened to a lot of his followers. Not all, some stayed with him. But this is Jesus about ready to downsize the crowd. What does he do? 
The setting is just as I've described it. The surprise, if you want to follow in my outline, the surprise was when Jesus said this, verse 26. If anyone wants to come to me, be my follower. If anyone wants to come to me and does not hate his father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. And the crowd got quiet. So this Mother's Day, I choose a passage where Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, hate your mother. I've always wanted to teach this on Mother's Day. (laughs) Now before you walk out of the room, I think you'll like the way it ends. And especially if you're a mom, you're going to like the way it ends. But you've got to listen to Jesus. Because that's exactly what he said. And you might say, well, the word hate didn't, didn't mean hate. Well, we'll talk about that. What did he mean? Why did he say this? What was he up to whenever he stops a crowd of admirers and followers and he says something so outlandish that it shocked them? Now, why would this have shocked them? Think about it. This is the same Jesus who had talked so much about his core value being love. And not just love God, but love people. In fact, he said that the greatest commandment of all had two parts. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So he's into loving your neighbor. Elsewhere, he was into, what about loving even your enemies? Jesus said, love your enemies. And and what about all the teaching that Jesus quotes from the Old Testament about love God, but then love your kids and love your grandkids. You know, and love on them so much. And, and, and by the way, children, you are to honor and obey your parents. You're to give honor to your parents. And now Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you need to hate your father and your mother and your kids. It didn't make sense. So how do we understand it? Let me make three quick observations to help you understand what Jesus is talking about. Number one, when you find radical statements in Scripture, here's a tip for you. Use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Scripture helps interpret Scripture. And my favorite one here is Matthew 10, 34 and following. Matthew 10, 34 and following. And since you're in Luke, I'll I'll throw it up on the screen with you. Here it is. It says this. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who has lost his life for my sake shall find it. Matthew 10, 37, 39. You see, what Jesus is really teaching when he says, if you, wanna, if you want to follow me, if you want to love me, then you've got to hate your mom and your dad and your kids and everything else. What he's really saying, as he explains in Matthew in different language, is you should love me more than them. The issue here is more about devotion than emotion. But it can involve both. In other words, the, the, the issue here that Jesus is addressing is who has your greatest devotion? He's not talking about the emotions of love and hatred. Jesus is not commanding you to have a feeling of hate for your mother. Okay, good news. Amen. Yeah, I hope so. Not on Mother's Day. I wouldn't get I wouldn't deliver that. Okay, so I don't want any of you going home calling your mom and venting on her today. This is not the day to vent on your mom, even if you're upset with her. So, you know, this is talking about levels of devotion than emotion. In fact, this was a common Jewish idiom. The the Jews would use this love-hate 
uh, as a as an idiom, uh, kind of a proverbial idiom that expresses choice between one thing over another. What he's really saying is that your love for me should be so preeminently strong that in comparison, everything else is like hate. But he's not asking you to emotionally dislike mom. It's more about devotion than emotions. And so the key question of the morning is this. Here it is. I'll give it to you. Who is number one in your life? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you're going to follow me, you've got to realize I'm not just one of your favorite people. I'm not just your favorite Sunday guy. This needs to be bigger than that. I'm asking you to realize that to follow me and be my disciple, you have to decide who is number one in your life. Who is the preeminent number one or above all else love of your life? And in light of this, he gives a challenge. So first he stops them, he surprises them, now he moves to challenge them to think before they keep following him down the road. And here's the section, pick it up in verse 27. Listen to this challenge. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower or building, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation for it and then he runs out of money, he can't complete it, all who see it will ridicule him. They're going to laugh at this guy. You know, who was his project manager? This man began to build and he wasn't able to finish. And then he uses a second metaphor. Or, at time of warfare, he says, or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and consider whether he is strong enough with his 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, if he's smart, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. He negotiates his way out of the, the conflict because he, he's counted the cost before he enters the battle. See, this is what Jesus is saying. He, you know, he's saying, therefore, and then he ends, he says, so then, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. So, so what Jesus is challenging them is to realize two things about discipleship. And, and here they are. Number one, the choice to follow Jesus is a radical, life-altering decision. So if you're smart, Jesus would say, don't do it blindly, count the cost. Understand what this means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, Jesus wants people to be his disciples. He wants us to be his disciples. He's not trying to scare you away. In fact, in a minute, I want to show you why his challenge makes perfect sense. But on the surface, yeah, some people couldn't handle this. Some people walked away because they realized, wow, I just thought I was looking for a new teacher I like to listen to on the radio or download their podcasts or, you know, this is my new favorite teaching guy. This is my new favorite guru, teacher, rabbi, whatever. And Jesus says, this is not just about that. This is about me being the preeminent love of your life. Are you ready for that? And he just asked the question. Are you ready for that? Because what Jesus expects, this is the second thing I observe in this challenge, he, he clearly expects every follower of his to make him the preeminent love of their life. So when I titled this message, First Loves and Others, 
See, what, what this is about is how do you sort out your, your love for Jesus and, and where does that stand in relation to other things that you love? Uh, and, you know, because if you want to list the things that I love, he lists mother, father, husband, wife, children, myself. I kind of love myself. Hopefully you kind of at least like yourself. Possessions. I like possessions. I think we all do at times, right? So what Jesus is trying to do is help us sort that out. He's helping us sort that out. And he's saying, you're going to be called on. If you're going to be my disciple, you have to love me more than any of them. Now, imagine for a minute. I try, I'm trying to, I try to think of a metaphor that would help you picture this. And I want you to picture this. What if out of all of life, including possessions, career, family, loved ones, what if God gave you a box? Now this box is a magical box, a magical treasure box. Can you picture it right here? Okay. And, and this box has some very special features. It, it's like this magic box that has room for one thing. That's it. But whatever you put in the box, you'll never lose. It can never be destroyed or stolen or taken away from you. Circumstances in life can't remove it. You will always have this one thing. And I think what Jesus is saying is, what would you put in the box? Would it be your marriage? Would it be your kids? Would it be your family as a whole? Would it be your, yourself? Would it be your possessions? Would it be your career? Would it be success? Would it be happiness? What would it be? Because Jesus is saying, what, what, what's your one thing that you put in the box? If you had a box that you knew, if I put this in there, I will never lose this. It's safe, secured by God forever. What's in the box? And Jesus is saying, I think, put me in the box. Now what I want to do before we wrap up is this. When I, when I see a passage like this, it's tempting sometimes for us as pastors to just say, alright, so Jesus taught you this, so now go do it. But I want, to, I want to dig a little deeper on this with you and ask this question. Why such an extreme demand? Why would Jesus put his demand in such extreme terms? I mean, that, why, does it make sense? Now, because it's Jesus, we all vote that it makes sense, right? But can I be real honest? Sometimes Jesus would say things that maybe I might say on the outside to you. I, I mean, it's politically correct. I am a pastor. I should always agree with Jesus, right? And I choose to. I do choose to agree with Jesus. But I want to help you think through. And as I prayed about this and looked at this and have studied this passage, uh, you know, throughout my life, this passage has kind of haunted me. It's been a it's been one of the most powerful passages in my life. And it, to, in terms of renovation and changing Dale, this passage always comes back as one of those passages that keeps chipping away at me and trying to reshape who I am. And at times I do well in it, and at times I think, oh man, I, I'm not sure I'm really putting Jesus in the box. I think I just put something else in the box, and more than Jesus, you know. So this passage is a renovation passage. 
It's a life-changing passage. It's a challenging passage. So I asked the question, why such an extreme demand? Because in a way, I think, you know, it would have made sense for Jesus to say, hey, by the way, when it comes to your religious life, I need to be number one above all other gods. But, you know, I understand that, you know, you have a lot of loves in your life, so just make sure every Sabbath or every, every Sunday when you worship, when you practice your religion, that you make me number one. You've got to do that. But I understand that, you know, when it comes Monday morning, Monday to Friday, especially 9 to 5, you've got to love your work, you know, because, man, you, you're there to, to pay the bills, bring, in the, you know, bring home the bacon, pay the, you know, raise the bucks. So, you know, you love me on Sunday, you, you kind of love your work, when, you, when you're there, and then you come home, check out a work and love your family. Your family deserves you in the evenings, and they deserve your Saturdays. And let, maybe save a couple hours on Saturday for me time, but, you know, and give you a little, little, love, little self-love. You know, but that, that's, that's how life works. But make sure that I'm your religious number one. But Jesus doesn't say that. He kicks everything from career, possessions, and family off the table and he says i need to be your love so why does that shocking statement make sense i came up with four facts of life number one here they are my greatest love will become my god my greatest love will become my god and and receive my worship see it's the nature of the human heart whether we want to call it god with a little g or not Whatever I love preeminently above all else kind of begins to receive my worship, which is supposed to be reserved for God. Now, what do I mean it receives my worship? I may not have a little idol up here, a little statue of, of, of my family or my career or my possessions or my ministry or anything else, and you may not have those little idols Okay, maybe you have a picture display on the wall. I don't know, okay? But, but the reality is, whatever I love the most becomes my God and receives my worship. When you think of worship, what are some acts of worship? Adoration. I adore it. I love it. Um, whatever or whoever I love, whatever or whoever I serve, whatever or whoever I sacrifice my money for, and give toward, uh, those are all different expressions of worship. And I think Jesus is just kind of calling it out. 1 John chapter 2, 15 to 17, just write the reference down. And um, when you do the five appointments or what we now call the daily encounters with God, if you're not signed up for that online, go online, sign up. It's on the back of the sermon outline. If you're new, you'll see it. We'll email that to you five times a week. A lot of our life groups study this together uh, with a great study guide produced by Ryan and, and uh, our discipleship uh, department. So, but go deeper on this thing. And one of the things that, that you'll learn, if you go to 1 John chapter uh, 2, it says this. It says, love not the things of this world instead of God. And he, and he, and he lists the, the three major categories that entice us to love the things of this world. Here they are. I can quote them to you. It's 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. For these things are not from God, but they're from the world. And you're not supposed to be loving on those. Love, love God. Lust of the flesh is pleasure. We're all tempted at times. Uh, pleasure is actually, uh, appropriate pleasure is actually created by God. God's not down on pleasure. 
but but sinful pleasure he's down on and you know but god designed pleasure it's it's a it's it's wonderful and god designed us to experience pleasure but he says don't lust after pleasure the lust of the flesh the the lust of the eyes to me that's materialism that's things that's possessions so if you want to line them up with peas it's pleasure possessions uh don't love stuff you know because if you love stuff but you know god creates stuff you know and and a lot of that stuff is okay i mean god creates a lot of beauty in our world you're going to go down uh, today our our family uh decided when all the moms said what do you want to do for mother's day and you know, I'm thinking, oh man, here comes the bill. Dad's paying it at the restaurant, you know. But, you know, but they surprised me. They, they went cheap on me this year. But it's wonderful. Just don't tell them not to change. So they, they, they said, let's just go hang out at the beach. And I'm thinking, great, the beach is free. <laughs> but that's because I love my money. Anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm disclosing my, my own problems there. But no, but with all joking aside, it's pleasurable. To go down to the ocean it's beautiful to live here in encinitas carlsbad area all this coastal zone where we can go down and look at the ocean and enjoy god's creation and i could say i love god's creation but wait a minute i'm supposed to only love jesus but i i can admit i love the ocean i love watching it so we have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, possessions. Then he has this one, and the boastful pride of life. That's prestige, success, you know, being number one, achieving. And again, nothing wrong with seeking to achieve and to be number one in your job or your career or to be the best that God's created you to be. Nothing wrong with desiring to excel at what you do to the glory of God. But the question is, does it cross over the line where it, be it begins to be so important to you that it takes Jesus out of the box and it jumps in the box? At times we're tempted to put pleasure, possessions, pride, success in the box and jesus is maybe number two now he's still high on your list but he's out of the box remember the box only holds one thing at a time so jesus is pointing out that when we do that we make whatever we love the most our god and we give it our worship now the implications of that flow out of that number two my greatest love therefore not just will not just be my God, it will become my Lord, my master of my decisions. That's the implication, is once I allow something else to become my greatest love, once I allow something else to become um, my God, then whoever's your God becomes my Lord. It begins to influence my decisions. It begins to make my decisions. It begins to shape my life. I'll give you an illustration of this. Uh, a few years back, I was doing some uh, marital counseling with a couple. And, and it was not a couple in crisis. It's just a couple whose marriage had gotten a little boring. And the man, um, I'll just call him Mike for sake of illustration. This is not in Encinitas. This is back in a previous church. So you don't have to worry about, oh, is he talking about me? No, I'm not talking about any of you yet. So anyway, or any time today. 
So Mike comes in to me and he says, Pastor Dale, he says, I just didn't want you to hear it from anybody else until you heard it from me first because I'm a man of integrity. I think, wow, Mike, what, what's going on? He says, um, I'm filing for divorce, leaving my wife. Because um, I thought about it. I love Jesus. I think Jesus wants me to be happy because Jesus loves me. And I'm not happy. And I don't think I'll ever be happy married to her. And she's not a terrible person. She hasn't been unfaithful or anything like that. But I just believe that God wants me, God loves me. God wants me to be happy. And I'm not happy. And I don't think we'll ever have happiness together. So I'm, I'm filing for divorce. And don't try to talk me out of it. I just wanted to tell you first. So how do I respond to that? I said, so... So, Mike, you're telling me that um, you kind of talked this through with Jesus, and Jesus is okay with this. He says, well, I didn't really talk it through with Jesus, but I know Jesus loves me, and Jesus wants me to be happy. And based on that, I, I believe Jesus is okay with this. I said, well, you know, Jesus has kind of spoken to this issue. Can I share with you a little bit of what he says? And I read him a couple passages about the covenant of marriage and commitment and and forgiveness and being willing to get counsel and try to rebuild this thing and you know and and he didn't want any of it so i asked this question what did mike have in the box talk to me what was in mike's box happiness self self happiness is what he had in the box Now, let me just, since you'll never meet this person because he's way across the country, truth of the matter is this guy's name was not Mike. His first name was Jack. But I just couldn't come to bring myself to tell you a story about Jack in the Box. But anyway. <laughs> I know I'm, in, I'm an In-N-Out fan, but I didn't want to take, take a shot at Jack in the Box. He's just too cute with that big head. But anyway, okay. But yeah, the truth of the matter is this was Jack in the Box. Not Jesus, Jack. You see, what becomes your greatest love becomes your God. What becomes your God or your greatest love becomes your Lord and begins to dictate your decisions. And you can wreck your life really quick that way. Third reason this makes perfect sense for Jesus to demand this is that loving Jesus above all else is the essential first step to loving all else appropriately. Man, when I, when I saw this, the light just came on and I said, thank you, Jesus, for stopping in the middle of the road and telling the crowd this. Thank you for stopping me and telling Dale this, reminding Seacoast of this. Because loving Jesus above all else is the essential first step to loving all else in your life appropriately. See, Jesus isn't telling me to hate the ocean and to hate my family and to hate my job and to hate you and to hate everybody else in my life except Jesus. He's telling me, love Jesus so much that Jesus is in the box. He's the, he's the above all else love of my life and then, then I'll be able to love those other things in my life appropriately where they don't control my decisions and kick Jesus out of the box. They don't become my God and receive my worship. I reserve that for my God. 
the best thing I can ever do for mom on Mother's Day, and here's how I'm going to tie it back to Mom's Day. Moms, listen. The best thing you can ever want from your kids or your, your husband, your spouse, the best thing you can do for a mom on Mother's Day is to love Jesus more than your mom. I think the reason Jesus calls out moms and dads and kids, why does he pick those? Well, it's because he knows those are the things that most of us love the most. And then he adds, and by the way, yourself. Don't even love yourself more than me. And then he tacks on at the end of the list, and by the way, also your possessions, because he probably figures that after family is tempting to be loved more than Jesus, we go to possessions. That's probably our two biggest competitors with jesus in most of our lives i know it would be in mine because i love my family i love things easy the best thing you can ever do for your dad on father's day by the way is to love jesus more than your dad the best thing you can ever do for your wife husband kids is to love jesus more than any of them the best thing you can ever do for yourself is to love jesus more than yourself why here's the here's the cool kick to this because jesus understands the love needs of your wife and your mother and your children and even of your own soul and jesus can deliver love to them through you jesus can deliver love to them much better than you can so here's the kicker if i say becky Burke, I will not love you more than I love Jesus. Then I, Jesus goes, woo! And then Jesus says, Dale, let's talk about how you love Becky. Because I got some tips. Because I understand Becky better than you do. And here's what I expect of you as a loving husband. Or for her as a loving wife. So, you know, to love everything else the way God designed it to be lived. To be able to enjoy creation. To be able to enjoy uh, even possessions or to be able to enjoy things that you like your sports teams and and your hobbies and and everything else to be able to enjoy all those other things that you love with a little l you got to love jesus with a capital l and then he will keep those other loves in their place and you don't worship them you don't obey them you save that for jesus and that's what makes life work the implications, and here's my final point, is that when my ultimate love is divided and I try to say, no, 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 Dale, I got, I got a box that's big enough for three or four things. I'm going to put them all in there with Jesus and I'm going to do life. Here's what happens. When my ultimate love is divided, it leads to a spiritual and emotional warfare in my life. And Jesus hints at this, in fact, declares it in Matthew 6 when Jesus says, and by the way, it's impossible to really love God and love possessions at the same time. You will love one and hate the other. That's a quote from Jesus in Matthew 6. In other words, because you have this warfare going on, because at times, all of a sudden, my career or my wife or my kids demand this of me and jesus demands this of me and you have this conflict going on and you can't live in that conflict so one of them will win out and become the preeminent love of your life everyone in this room has something you love more than anything you have it i have it this day this mother's day this sunday Jesus' message to you is if you want to be my disciple and experience 
the abundant life that I have for you and a life of eternal significance and joy and fun. Jesus is not going to take any fun out of your life. He's going to enhance the fun in your life. If you want to destroy the fun in your life, try loving stuff more than Jesus. It will wreck you. But if you love Jesus more than it, you can actually use it, you can give it away, you can enjoy it, you can do all the things God designed it to do, and you get joy, and and the same thing with your family. Man, you can enjoy your family, have a better marriage, better family, better life, because you got the right one thing in the box. Amen? Pray with me. Father God, thank you for... um, Wow, what for me at least may be the most challenging message Jesus ever gave. Because I love my wife, my kids. Love my life, love myself, love my possessions. Love the ocean, the beauty of creation. Get to enjoy it this afternoon down at the beach with my family. Wow, how good is that? But Lord Jesus... Today I declare I want you in the box and I invite every person here if you are genuine in your heart to say that prayer. Lord Jesus, I invite you into the box as the greatest love of my life. I will make you my only God, make you my only Lord, and I will seek to follow you and let you teach me how to love everything else in my life appropriately. Would you pray that? If you prayed that prayer, make sure you understand too that, Lord Jesus, I will fail at this. This is not easy to do. And I thank you for your grace. I thank you for the abundant love of, the unconditional love of Christ. I thank you for your work on the cross that forgives me of the times that I put you out of the box and put something else in it. I thank you that when I do that, you don't quit loving me. Because I am secure in Christ. I am loved in Christ. I choose you as my Savior as I put you in the box. We want to give you some worship now, Father, because you deserve it. You deserve all of our worship. In Christ's name, amen.